0: Welcome to the Vox Pop, a podcast of Missio Day Church. We believe that everyone has a story worth telling, and this podcast gives voice to those stories. I'm Brian. And I'm Peter. And we are your hosts.
1: Welcome to the Vox Pop.
0: Well, Peter, how's your week going so far?
1: It's been pretty good. Uh, we've kind of lost count of what week of quarantine we're all in. I don't even know what month it is anymore. Yeah, So I feel like we're in a rhythm and doing online school, doing some podcasting. Yeah. It's a good rhythm.
0: It's great. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been strange to be home so much. In fact, my daughter was just saying this morning, she hasn't been in a car in the last two months.
1: Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Which is,
0: you know, I mean, it's a normal everyday thing that she just hasn't had to do. We're all homebodies now. We are. And some of us love that and some of us don't. Yep. But, um, well, we're joined today by Dr. Jeff Heck. Jeff serves as the CEO of Mountain Area Health Education Center, otherwise known as Mayheck around these parts. And he's been a member of Missio Day along with his wife, Kathy, since 2017. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, I'd like to just start by having you tell us a little bit about your your role with MAHEC and what Mayhack, uh does in our area. A lot of people have heard of it, but I don't know that they really know what MAHEC does.
2: So, so um, the best way to look at Mayhek is Mayhek is the academic health center complex of UNC in the West. Okay. So at MAHEC, we have a branch campus of the School of Medicine. We have a branch campus of the School of Pharmacy, a branch campus of... School of Dentistry, and finally that of the School of Public Health. And those are all UNC affiliated and UNCA for the School of Public Health and the Pharmacy School. But the students do their clinical training in our facility and with our physicians. Uh, We also have the more longstanding part of MAAC is our residency training program. So after medical school, physicians specialize in various areas so we have three training programs in family medicine, one here in Asheville, one in Hendersonville, and one in Boone, which is a new one. Um, so we we will ultimately graduate 21 family doctors a year. We've been training family physicians for almost, uh, about 45 years, and we have trained about 600, 300 of those are still in and practicing in Western North Carolina. Some are starting yeah. to retire, obviously. And so without Mayhek There would be a lot fewer primary care physicians in this region, and then we have uh, clinical practices. We have about sixty thousand patients we care for, which is about one hundred and sixty thousand visits a year. We are a safety net provider, so we take care of all payers. We take care of uh, uninsured. We take Mm -hmm. care of. We do a lot of high risk care and pregnancy, so we have the only high risk maternity providers in the region, and we we do ninety two percent of the Medicaid deliveries in the region. So. It's a heck of a lot of deliveries and run the OB service at the hospital. Mm. And we also do research. Uh, we have uh, PhD researchers who are tied into the university. All in all, we have about 750 employees, an annual budget of about $80 million a year. And we feel like we are the people's organization mm. because we're we're supported largely by funding from the state. So that's taxpayer money. Mm-hmm. And so we feel like our responsibility is to the region. We're a not-for-profit. So it is a it is a very uh, full organization which has a strong mission to train the next generation of healthcare providers for the region.
0: I just don't know what you do with the rest of your week. <laughs> I mean,
2: <laughs> I work with a lot of bright, motivated, mission-driven people, which is an amazing opportunity. I I'm, I feel so fortunate to have my job. Mm. Um, I love going to work because there's not a day that goes by that there's not somebody with an amazing and brilliant and compassionate idea. And make no mistake about it, the healthcare system in the United States is horribly broken. It is skewed against keeping people healthy, preventive care, primary care. It is skewed towards hospital medicine, doing a lot of procedures, a lot of stuff done to people. And yet we know that much of what keeps, people healthy are all the things that are really outside of even healthcare itself. Right. Sometimes physicians actually have the privilege of being able to direct people to do other things like healthy lifestyle habits, like exercise and eating well and attending to their emotional and spiritual Mm -hmm. life. And that is the kind of thing that I think is not particularly valued in the healthcare, you know, in the United States, but it's of course vitally important. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm sure Uh, Lately, you have been extra busy. We just talked before we got on here about this is uh, 50 50 Zoom calls or something today. Mostly, I would guess, over the issues surrounding COVID-19. So,
1: We wanted to get your expertise about what makes COVID-19 a unique disease that needs such a strong response.
2: There are many things. So the last time we had what could be considered a serious global pandemic, that affected everywhere in the world it was in 1918, mm-hmm. with what was called then the Spanish flu, but really was not not didn't originate in Spain. It was it was a extremely virulent and highly contagious uh, virus. We have not had anything like that in the century until now. So we have a global pandemic. It's in every single country. It is highly contagious. The average person with infected with COVID 19 infects four people. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes before they even have symptoms, there are some people who get, who have no symptoms, who are just shedding virus, which makes it particularly uh, dangerous. And then there are some people who get horribly, terribly ill and require hospitalization and intensive care. And so it is, it is unique in the fact that it, that it's highly contagious. It is easily spread it is, is serious and dangerous in some people. And probably one thing that, that, that one of the things that makes it very different than the 1918 flu, 1918 flu actually um, preferentially killed younger people, Mm. um, healthy, Mm. uh, healthy people, young people. And the, and the COVID-19 virus has been particularly brutal to older people. Mm -hmm. So older people, people with chronic illnesses, they are the ones who are most vulnerable.
0: Which is wow. your specialty, um, right? As a geriatrician.
2: It is. In fact, I saw patients this morning, and I have been, I whenever I get feeling sorry for myself about uh, how, how challenging <laughs> my work <emergency> is <laughs> these days, I look at some of the really difficult things that older people are facing where they are very isolated. Uh, in many instances, they can't see their children and grandchildren for fear of being infected. Mm. And you've heard stories around the country, and they are true, that that oftentimes older people get sick, they get, wake up with a fever and shortness of breath, they say goodbye to their spouse and never see them again, they die alone in the hospital, mm. A tragic, tragic thing. Mm. And um, if we have any compassion in our heart as a country, we need to be particularly concerned about the elderly,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and about their vulnerabilities and do all we can to protect them, but also to remember them and and value them as members of our society.
1: Mm-hmm. What is your long-term outlook on COVID-19?
2: Well, I don't think that there's any evidence right now that we are going to be able to rid ourselves of the virus worldwide or locally. That's just not, probably not going to happen. We've been effective in the strategies of uh, social distancing and staying staying at home to reduce the rapid increase of, of new cases and hospitalizations. We've been extremely effective in, in doing that. But ultimately, people will need to return to work and mm-hmm. people will want to return to work. People will actually weigh the balance even and decide, I, I want to go to work one way or the other. The... Uh, the returning to work, when that happens, people will have to be very attentive to the still social distancing. So staying six to 10 feet apart and, and good hand washing and avoiding crowded places. All, all those are things that are extraordinarily effective. They work really well. And, and so that will be change how society interacts. The virus doesn't like as well the warm, humid weather. So there might be some other things in our favor. Mm. Um, as summer wears on, but we expect another spike in the fall. Mm. Um, and the, probably the thing that will make the biggest difference is the development of, a, of an effective, safe vaccine. Yeah. And that will come, it takes months to years to develop a vaccine. Right. So we're going to we're gonna have to learn to yeah. live with it. I think, you know, America is a resilient country. We're, we're going to figure it out. We're going to get back to work and we're going to figure it out, but it's going to be with us.
1: What do you think is an effective way for the Missio Day congregation to serve not only the healthcare workers, but serve the Asheville community?
2: Well, I always always think that there's a lot of merit in the fruits of the spirit Mm. with a particular emphasis on on joy and long-suffering or patience. It's going to take patience. Everybody in this whole uh, world is affected by this in one way. They're not infected by it, but they're affected by it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, being patient, being being uh, calm in the face of a storm, and having joy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I've been really impressed. Like the people in the people in our organization who have who are joyful are the ones that everyone wants to be around
3: mm-hmm.
2: and flock to. So, I believe that there's probably um, there, that's probably number one there are really practical ways to serve people. And I think particularly with the elderly, uh, with, with calling older folks, with uh, offering to pray with them. For example, the other day, I I have a 90, 90-year-old aunt, and I called her up, I called her, I haven't talked to her for a while, but I called her just to see how she was doing. And I thought because she was 90, she'd want to talk to me for about three minutes. 45 minutes later, with a review of some marvelous history, um, both my history and her history, uh, we hung up mm. and I found myself pleasantly surprised that not only was she willing to be on that line that long, but I was, yeah. Yeah. uh, so I think there's a lot of ways to be creative. Uh, I, my wife is the, <clears throat> this, this, uh, goes without saying my, my, <laughs> I get choked up when I say mm. this, my wife is the best person I know. She is amazing. Um, so recognizing that all of our grandchildren are home.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: She started, a started reading to them, uh, every day. Started off with a half an hour and now it's an hour every day. And all of our grandchildren, I, I have watched them. They're all glued. They're <laughs> all glued to the, to the screen listening to her read and, and not simple stuff. I mean, she's reading The Wind of the Willows mm. and she's reading some amazing literature. That, you know, it's good for the grandkids, it's good for her, it's good for their parents, um, you know, to try to find ways to continue to instruct them. And I have to say, you know, there's a lot of simple things that make a big difference.
1: Amen. That is so beautiful.
2: The the Lord can still work through the body of our church. That's right. Regardless if we're all together. In fact, in many ways, I've seen it working better than it ever has. Sure. Um, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been moved to tears and on many occasions from text messages that people have sent me surprisingly at incredible
3: mm.
2: appropriate times when I needed it the most notes and thoughtfulness. And I, I have really appreciated. I have been in the position in many times in our church when I've been able to serve others, but I haven't felt my own need so much as I have now. Mm. And so those little notes, people telling me they're going to pray for me, that, that, that means a lot. Somebody in the church has written me a handwritten letter every
0: every week.
2: Wow. Um, so, is the church working well? Yeah. Yeah, I think is. so. Wow,
0: oh, that's, so, that's so great to hear. Well, Jeff, I appreciate that. I want to just shift focus here a little bit. And and by the way, let me just say this too. You talked about joy earlier as one of the sting, distinguishing marks of a Christian during this time. I have seen that with you and Kathy both probably more so than, than almost anybody I can think of. And I just... I imagine your employees, the 749 of them who work for you, see that in you, and are really grateful for God's work to to give you that that joy. Um, in in your I every, hope so. uh, he does, he he absolutely does, and I know these are challenging times, but I, I imagine the people who serve under you are seeing that and are attracted to it as well. So so this job with Mayhek is kind of what brought you to the area. What twenty some years ago? Is that right? Sixteen. Sixteen, okay, almost. What was it about the role initially that, that compelled you? Because you were in Cincinnati before that, correct?
2: I've almost had three separate careers. The first was I was in private practice in a small town, and then following that, I we were in tenure for a year working at a mission hospital. We moved back to Cincinnati, where for 20 years I was on the faculty at the University of Cincinnati, and my work was actually public health and global health. I did of course, patient care and teaching, but also research. And I um, started a not-for-profit in Honduras where we actually develop a comprehensive network of clinics and public health projects throughout a rural area of of North uh, Honduras in a very poor area. We moved to Asheville um, 16 years ago where I took a a job really leading the family medicine department at, at MAHEC and then worked to start uh, uh, the medical school campus here. And then eight years ago, I became the CEO of Mayheck. And so as my youngest daughter likes to say, Dad, you you are a muckety-muck, <laughs> but at least only for eight years. So I, I feel like that's her vindication for me. But I, I actually really enjoy my work, so I don't I'm not disparaging of it.
0: Yeah. What was it that initially led you into the vocation of medicine, Jeff?
2: Well, I, I'm 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 embarrassed to say it, but uh, but you know you're not. If it's a bad idea to be disingenuous with uh, with your pastor. Um, <laughs> but um, but I grew up I grew up. Uh, my father was an alcoholic, and we were quite poor by the time that he left. And I watched my mother cry over bills, and that was really hard to that was that was really hard for me. We, and I I did not want to be poor. And I have friends who were doctors, and I thought, well, if I'm a doctor, I won't be poor. So that was kind of the goal. I had no idea what it meant to be a doctor, or what it was like to be a doctor, but I did finish my medical training when all of it right after my 28th birthday. And so I've I've been a physician for a really long time yeah. and, and practicing. So, um, and and it's been amazing to me. I I have felt so blessed that the Lord took my not so noble reason for wanting to be a doctor, and <laughs> and and blessed me with it because of its incredible um, service role. Wow, what
1: what role did faith play throughout that time? Did you grow up a Christian when you were really young? What was your relationship with the Lord like?
2: I, I did when I was when I was a child. I relied on the Lord constantly just because of our situation, mm. and I, I I know probably. Many people in our church probably have really faithful kids. Um, man, that is a blessing for a child because in the midst of all the things I had to go through, I love to pray. I love going to church. You know, I love my pastor. You know, to me, it was just a great place of comfort. And, you know, I went, when I went to college, things kind of faded a little bit, but fortunately when Kathy and I met, we, we discovered the Lord together pretty shortly after we got married in, in, stages before that. But after we got married, you know, if it was good enough for her, it was good enough for me and vice versa. So we really grew together, which was were really awesome. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when, when I looked at, when I when we made the decision to do a lot of the global health stuff, I, you know, I, I love, there's so many parts about medicine. I love, I love problem medicine. I love public health. Um, there are many things that just as a professional were interesting to me. But one of the things that was um, was particularly rewarding was going to poor places uh, where there wasn't any health care. I so often felt like, you know, that when, when when Jesus was on earth, he spent a lot of time with people who had problems, mm-hmm. who were needy and had poor problems, poverty. And, you know, in my setting as a professional at a medical school, I wasn't seeing didn't see it like I did when I went and slept on a concrete floor and saw patients all day long in a tropical climate. And I found that, uh, that in that setting, I was no longer in the bleacher seat way up at the top in the back. I was right in the front row Mm -hmm. watching the Lord in action. And, um, I found that, you know, incredibly rewarding. I used to come home for two weeks in Honduras. When I used to go several times a year for two weeks at a time, I would leave poor Kathy with five kids. And then I couldn't communicate with her because there was, there was no cell phone. There was no landlines. There was no way to communicate. The only way to communicate was actually by telegraph. So obviously we didn't communicate. (laughs) Yeah. So I would come home from the airport. I would, uh, the kids would stay up no matter how late it was when I got in and we'd sit around the table and I would, I would tell every single story, everything that happened. I would tell the whole story. We'd stay up till midnight telling Mm. each event and what it meant. And, and, you know, it was always clear to me when I was, when I was telling the stories back to the kids that that, that I was right there in the front row. I was seeing mm-hmm. exactly what the Lord was doing, and it made me hungry for more. So although I was always tired, it progressively got, I was had more aches and pains from sleeping on the floor. <laughs> um, you know, occasionally came back sick, but it was always worth it. Yeah,
0: wow. So you, you mentioned Kathy a couple of times. Take us back to when you and Kathy met.
2: Well, <laughs> for, for better or worse, I think the Lord's always given me a, somewhat of a measure of confidence but when I met Kathy we were not we had nobody introduced us there were common friends that were talking and I noticed her and I went over and started talking to her and an hour I was 18 she was 19 an hour and a half later I asked her to go out with me <laughs> and we had a great evening actually playing pool and when it was over I said well how about tomorrow night that was, was Friday night I said how about tomorrow night will you go out with me then She said, well, I would, but I have a date. I said, well, cancel it. She said, well, I can't just call and cancel. I said, but cancel it. So I persisted. And I think she knew I wanted to see her enough that she canceled. And then I said, and also, what about Saturday night? Because I know we're going to have a good time tomorrow night. So what about Saturday night? She said, well, I have another date that night. I said, well, cancel that one too. So fortunately, she canceled them both. We have been together ever since. I mean, we have been you know, we just said, the Lord just put us together. You know, we, I wasn't smart enough to actually understand any of her amazing qualities and and, and characteristics, <laughs> her integrity, her goodness, her compassion, her selflessness—all the things that she mm.
3: that
2: she is. But you know, I was just—I mean, I was a kid. I didn't know any better. But I always think the Lord knew better. But He He picked a perfectly wonderful woman for a uh, for me.
1: It sounds like your marriage has a testimony of its own and getting a little bit deeper into that with five adult children, what was the most challenging part about being a father in the midst of a busy and full career?
2: You know, I think when, um, of course, I can only say this in retrospect, but, you know, it it takes a lot of energy, effort, creativity, um, motivation to be a good parent. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, you have to be present. You have to walk in the room when you're tired and your mind is occupied and still be there. And that just takes, that just takes hard work. Uh, and I, I was, I, I had a habit of when I was driving home from, from work every night of just thinking, okay, what, a, what, a, what am I likely to face when I walk through this door? Forget patient care, you know, other stuff. Like, what am I going to need to do when I'm in? Am I going to need to get on the ground and be Mickey Mouse? Am I going to need to, am I going to need to give my, preteen, a hug and a wrestle, you know, whatever it is, I got to do it. I got to be ready. And so, you know, that takes a lot of, that takes a lot of work. I'm not saying I did it perfectly every time, but it's interesting. I had, I had a very busy job even then, Mm -hmm. but I, but my kids will still say that I was present because the time I was there, I wasn't, I wasn't just sitting around like a log. I was,
0: I was doing stuff. And having spent Um, some time around your, your family, your adult children now, on several occasions. I, do, I marvel at how you all love one another very well. I mean, I've, I've been in other family scenarios where uh, the kids don't talk to each other or they're not talking to parents, and uh, it's it's evident that all of your kids love you and Kathy and love one another and get along really well and enjoy the time that they could to spend with each other, which has to be an incredible gift.
2: It is It is a gift, but I, I always, you know, I know that many parents struggle with their kids, you know, that and many parents doubt whether they're doing the right thing for their kids. And you know, I'm 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 like I was like them too. You know, I I wondered, you know, was I being a good parent? Was I doing the right stuff? Were they seeing things in me that that were discouraging? Bad, I'm sure there were. But you know, the one thing I think that you just have to always think about in those settings is you have to really keep at it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you can't be perfect and you know, we had kids that had struggles and challenges, and in fact, uh, the ones that did are, um, in my mind, the, the greatest testimony to the Lord. You know, mm-hmm. the, the struggles, and they're amazing. But I, I think I wouldn't want anyone to think that it was, it was, it's hard for them, but easy for us. It, it just sure. takes work. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is, is that I've always felt the best way for to train my kids how to be a good spouse and 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 really understand what it's like, you know, to be with somebody for a lifetime is to be really good at doing that. So Kathy and I had you know, we made that decision really early on to treat each other with respect and kindness and love and honor each other. And I I feel like not not the only reason our children have good marriages, but I think I I can feel good that I didn't screw it up.
0: Well, speaking of your kids, uh, Parker, your son, and his wife, Kendall, are also members of the Missio family. Talk a little bit about well, what it was that led you and Kathy uh, into our community.
2: Well, so first of all, Parker um, Parker came to a very dramatic faith uh, later in life after some struggle. And um, at one point, he asked us, he said, this was before he was married, before he met Kendall, he asked us, he said, can you go with me and help me find a find a church that would suit me well, because um, the church that we were going to didn't suit him well. So we said, yeah, and so every other week we go to a new church. And so he uh, actually came to Missio Day pretty soon after I think you started, Brian. Mm. And, and within a month, Parker was baptized in the French Broad River yep. by you.
3: Yeah.
2: And, and we wept for days and nights with joy. Mm when that happened and, and he had, um, you know, a miraculous transformation. And then when Parker and Kendall were married, both of them went to Missy Day. Mm. And then, uh, when they were, when, when Kendall got pregnant with Abby, Kendall asked us, Kendall and Parker both asked us, they said, you know, would you go to church with us? Cause we would love to go to church with you. Mm. And so I can always tell you how long it's been, since we've been going to Missio Day because it's however old Abbey is, <laughs> um, and Kathy and I have are not church hoppers. We yeah. we sort of believe that you know when you go to church, when you have a body of believers you're with, you know you're there good or bad. And so in our forty three years of marriage, we've only belonged to three churches. Mm. And and the church we were going to, we felt very committed to it. So we went to the to our pastor at that church, and we said, you know, here's our dilemma. You know, we've got to. A a, a son and a daughter in law that we love very much who are having a baby and they want us to be, to go to to worship with them. And would you bless us as we leave the church? So he did in front of the whole congregation, which was, which was awesome. Rather than just storm away or, or leave without telling anybody, we felt that was important. And it was, it was a great decision for us. We don't particularly like being the oldest in the church or not the (laughs) oldest. You know, it is what it is, but we love, you know, we love seeing the young families, we love being part of the three and four year old nursery. Mm. We love those kids, we like getting to know them and hearing their stories and all the tales about their parents. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, it's obvious y'all maintain a very full schedule, full of intention for community. And we would like to hear a little bit more about how you got the idea for your famous dinners.
2: Well, so, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's actually very deliberate. It, and it goes way back to when we were um, raising our kids. We, um, it, you know, the idea comes from during the Last Supper when Jesus said, you know, whenever you, drink, whenever you drink this wine, eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. That was not an uncommon meal in those days.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I don't think he was just talking about only this really special wine that's that consecrated, and only this bread, this special bread. I think he was really talking about when you, when the day's over, and you're all your worries, you're bringing all your worries with you. That that there's a clear demarcation of when those worries are put put to rest or put aside, and you break bread, and you and you and you drink wine. If you drink wine together with the people in your in your family or in your friendship circle or in your church and it's every meal is a sacred meal every meal is in a sense communion and we made that we have always we have always liked to have not a not a fully structured conversation but we've liked you know we'd like not to just have small talk but we'd like to actually talk about ideas and about the things in the world and in our lives that we feel are really important, so we so we always have had a, a question at dinner at the dinner table. So a question like, "What do you long for?" Mm. And you know, everybody is in different stages of their life and different things that are occurring. But when you ask a question like, "What do you long for?", you get thoughtful ideas, and every person has the opportunity to speak and be fully listened to. We would exercise that with our children. So that even when the nine-year-old was talking about, you know, what she longed for Mm. and the college students are sitting around the table, um, they learn to respect the fact that a a nine-year-old has certain longings too. You know, it may may be, it it will be very different, but the idea of respecting conversation and listening to people and allowing people to express themselves um, and be fully listened to. I think in our, in our age of cell phones and text messaging and all that stuff, you know, we've somewhat lost the art of, of communication. But in many ways, this particular time that we're in has created a, almost a revival mm-hmm. of, uh, of conversation. Absolutely. And anyway, so that is, that to me, is, that that to Kathy and I both has always have always been really important, learning about people and hearing about them and hearing what they think about, and there and there are also occasional times when we just everybody maybe needed needs lightheartedness, so we might also have somebody everybody has to write a haiku or um, read Robert Burns in a in a deep mountain accent, so we've had that too. <laughs>
0: Oh, Jeff, this has been a joy. I've uh, got one last question, then we got a little thing we call the lightning round here. But um, when you think about this stage of your life and your vocation, uh, what what do you sense that God is teaching you right now?
2: Well, right now it's a heck of a lot of patience. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, a lot of patience, and a, and a lot of. I think one of the things that I am really learning well is uh, and often. Is that I'm not really in charge of what happens with the coronavirus. Mm. The, the Lord is, you know. I'm not in charge of this world. Yeah. You know, I I found it very humbling, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for it. You know, I'm. It, it's challenged me to times like that. It just it actually makes me really work hard and identifying my own personal weaknesses and 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 dealing with them. You know, letting the Lord. You know.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Exposed, having the Lord expose them for me and also help me uh, overcome
1: them. Well, we are thankful for you sharing your, a bit of your story and your wisdom and mm-hmm. most of all, your joy with us. Amen. Mm-hmm. And we have some lightning round questions that we are going to ask. Uh, They're local stuff. So what is your favorite Asheville restaurant?
2: Well, I would say uh, I'm a, uh, a, a big fan of Bouchon's. Uh, I, I like French comfort food. Mm. Um,
1: They're
2: going to have to get their table a little further apart, though.
1: What's your go-to order?
2: Probably chicken cordon bleu. Mm.
1: If you could time travel to any time in history and any place in history, where would you go?
0: And when? When would you go? Um,
2: It'd be hard to to think of a time. (laughs) I love to read history. Um, But when you read history, you realize that there are some... of the times were really really interesting and challenging they also were fraught with dangers and poverty and Mm -hmm. I, i i think i would love to have been around around the time of the 1920s right after the right after the first world war i think it would have been a really interesting time in history but i'm kind of particularly glad i grew up in the era that i grew up in yeah
1: amen Last question. What is the last thing you watched and or read that is worth sharing?
2: Well, um, I'm actually currently in the middle of reading a book that, that is a very nice distraction. It's called uh, Trust. It's the story of the, it's the history of the development and the, and the creation of the New York Times. Oh, wow. Uh, Adolf Ochs, you know, the, Adolf Ochs was the founder of the New York Times. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an interesting story. I love the New York times. I like reading it and I, I now understand the why it was, why it's such a great newspaper.
0: That's fantastic. Well, Jeff, I know you got other things to do. So thankful for your time and uh, your wisdom. Thanks for your friendship as well. And uh,
2: yeah, just appreciate you.
0: you.
2: Yeah. Thank you all for, for having me. Thanks for listening to me for so long. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) It's been a joy. It's been a joy. We'll look forward to seeing you in person. That's right. (laughs) <laughs>
2: Me
0: too. All right, man, what a great interview that was, huh?
1: Oh, what a treat.
0: Jeff is just full of information and uh, wisdom. I love it.
1: A blessing to our church and the
0: Big C Church. That's exactly right. Well, this has been the Vox Pop. Hope you've enjoyed it as well. Uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast and uh, tell us what you think. We'd love to hear your comments. And if you'd like to be a guest on the Vox Pop, we you can let us know that as well. You can email office at mdcasheville.org. Have a great one, y'all. See ya.